Sunday nights we've been working on questions that people ask, things they wonder about the Bible, and we've done a number of different topics, tried to group those questions into some bigger topics, and the last few weeks we've been talking about creation. People in the world wonder a lot of things about creation, and uh, we've talked about some of the basics in the first two weeks about why we should study it, and then we've kind of specialized on uh, some of the flaws in the evolutionary theory last time. Uh, I decided to do two more sessions on this, and admittedly, these are not things, or most of it's not stuff that we sit around and debate and talk about. Uh, in fact, among us, we hardly ever mention some of these things. Uh, some of them came from questions that we got on Know Your Bible. And some of those questions, when I got them, I thought, what is this person talking about? I, I don't know what they're talking about. But sure enough, you Google and you look and there's somebody teaching some strange doctrine about Genesis 1 and 2 and other things. So over the years, we've heard a lot of questions of on Know Your Bible about the beginning of things, and people are interested in it. And uh, tonight we'll do a couple of those. We'll finish up with Days of Creation, which kind of ties in with last week. And then we'll do a couple of uh, things about creation itself. And then next time we're together, uh, we're going to talk about the fall. And I think since that's in the first few chapters of Genesis, that uh, we need to understand the lessons that we learn from the fall of man there in the garden. All right, 24-hour days. Uh, some of you may have got that question, or some of you may have already made your mind up that, well, that just sounds preposterous that God would really make everything in just six 24-hour days. Uh, it surely took longer than that, so maybe days means eons, or maybe days means ages. Uh, so that's the first topic we want to talk about. Uh, one reason or one thing that's always brought up when somebody discusses this question is Second Peter 3.8. Uh, they love Second Peter 3.8. Uh, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Well, okay, you read that literally, uh, then it took him 6,000 years instead of six days. Uh, but if you really look at it and what it's saying, it actually proves that if he wanted to do it in six 24-hour days, that's no problem at all uh, because he's outside of time is what that means. Uh, God's not bound by time. Uh, you ask God how long it takes to create the world, however long he wants. Okay? Do it in a nanosecond if he wanted to. Or he could take six days, or he could take eons. He doesn't worry about time much. Uh, But that verse doesn't prove anything as far as ages or uh, all of that. Uh, But it's always brought up. Uh, One reason some people ask about this is because uh, the sun and moon weren't created until day four. So we get questions about that. How could there be morning and evening if the sun and moon weren't here? Uh, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll kind of go through the first chapter of Genesis uh, and think through that. Well, let's just do that right now, in fact, and then we'll come back to 24-hour days. You might want to open to Genesis 1. Uh, I personally think this study is uh, 
having a little bit of a scientific engineering kind of background, I think Genesis 1 uh, is fascinating just to think through and think, how did he really do that? I mean, I know he did it by speaking, and I know he could do anything he wants, but uh, to think about how the elements actually came into existence and moved and what all he did in that week that we're talking about, uh, it's a fascinating study. So instead of taking a long time on it, let me just whip through it real quickly and uh, tell you some of the things that kind of come to mind as I go through it. Uh, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, there's the big summary. That, that, that wraps everything up that we're going to talk about for a couple of chapters. Uh, in the beginning, God made everything. And then it goes on in chapter 1 to break that down into a little more detail. Uh, beginning, and I think this was on day 1, verse 2 says, The earth was formless and empty, or uh, formless and without with, and void. Uh, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, to me, what happened there was God made matter. He created matter. Uh, nobody else can do that. The first law of thermodynamics says matter cannot be created or destroyed. But God created it. He made all the matter that ever was and ever will be. But it was formless and void. It wasn't in any shape. It was just there. And it was all mixed up like some kind of a muddy ball. I don't know what it looked like. It's fun to think about that. What would all the matter that exists in the universe without any form look like? Uh, he did that, and then he said, let there be light. So he created light. Light is a very strange uh, I don't even know what to call it for sure. Light, light's different than anything else. Uh, we now have lots of sources of light. Uh, the light bulbs up there are sources of light. You've got a light in your cell phone. Uh, we've got the sun as a source of light. We've got all kinds of sources of light. But light itself was created there on day one. He just said, let there be life. Everything was dark. He made all the matter. But there was no light. He made light. And then he separated it. He, he took the light and moved it somehow into one source. Not the sun yet, but just a source of light. So that light was over here and dark was over here. Uh, and I don't know where that was. But he separated them. Later, I think he put the earth in the middle of that. But... He separated light from darkness. And that was the first day. Second day, beginning verse 6, all of this mass of matter that he had made that was formless and void, he started to separate parts of it. The water part, he took some and moved up and some he left in this ball that we call the earth, and between it, he put the sky. Now, most people think before the flood that there was some kind of dome around the earth that held all the water up there. 
there's water up in the heavens. But he separated some of it from this watery mass that wasn't formed yet. And between it, he called it the sky. Verse 9 comes day 3. On this ball that was, what well, might not even have been a ball then. It might have been a square or a rhomboid or whatever. It was just a mess. And he separated the waters. He said, the waters go together in one place, we call them oceans, and let the dry land appear. And dry land appeared. And he made vegetation come out of that dry land on day three. Day four, he finally got around to making some sources of light. Now, before this, light, I think, had been on one side of the mass, and darkness had been on the other side. Whether it was rotating or not already, I don't know. But he did say it was morning and evening. So I think it was probably rotating. He had morning and evening before that because he had what light there was, the, the source of all light on one side, darkness on the other. Now he made and put light into specific sources, the sun and the moon and the stars. That's where light comes from now, other than man-made sources of light. So he arranged those on day four, and he even told this first time he explains why he did something. He said the reason he did this, the reason he made the sun and the moon and the stars and set them in their motions, was so man could keep track of seasons and days and years and day and night. That's our timekeeping apparatus. And he set that all up on day four. Day five, since he had the waters all in one place now and things were starting to look like the earth, he made the waters produce creatures. Anything that lived in the water was created on day five, and then he went to birds. Made all the birds on day five. Day six, he made all the land creatures, and he made man. Now, if you, th you think about that, that's just a little bit out of whack with evolutionary theory. I think creatures came out of the water from evolution, and then birds would have to come later, wouldn't they? I don't think they flew straight out of the water. So they had to be land creatures for a little while, and then birds came around somehow. But God made the water creatures, then the birds, then the land creatures. Okay. Now, if all of that took millions and billions of years, and if you looked at the fossil record, it ought to be real clear, shouldn't it? I mean, if you look at that record, there wasn't anything alive until day five. So if day five is 24 eons, all you ought to find is water creatures. And then later in the day, you ought to find some birds. That ought to be all there is for eons, for, for the, the fossil record. And then finally, you ought to get up to where, oh, here's some land creatures start to appear. Everybody in this room knows that's not what the fossil record looks like. Everything's all in there together. Everything's all in there mixed up. Yeah. Water creatures, birds, animals, man, all mixed up in the fossil record. So the eon thing gets a little tough to buy. 
Okay. Now, that doesn't mean everybody understands this perfectly and all that. I put a quote in here by Augustine. He said, what kind of days these were is extremely difficult or perhaps impossible for us to conceive. Now, it's funny. Actually, what he believed was, why would God mess around and take six 24-hour days? He thought he did it instantaneously. So when he looked at his record, he said, God describes it as days, and that's hard to figure out because all he had to do was speak and make it. Uh, but he concluded that assuredly the world was made not in time, but simultaneously with time uh, and out of the realm of time somehow. Okay, So that's one way to look at it. Now, if you want to think about the reasons that it might be real 24-hour days, there are quite a few. Uh, every place that the Hebrew word yom, which is the word for day, any place it's used with a number, it always means a 24-hour day. So if you say the first day or the second day or Tuesday or Thursday, it's always a 24-hour day. There's a place or two uh, where it means a period of time, but anytime there's a number with it, the Hebrews were talking about a 24-hour day. Now, we kind of understand that. We use day differently uh, in this age. If you say, how long will it take before you get that project done, Tandy? And I say, oh, give me a day or two. What are you expecting? Depends how well you know me, don't you? <laughs> you may interpret that. I mean, there's people at work who say that. You know that means months. You know, I'll have, I'll have to have that in a day or two. Okay? You don't expect it for a long time. But if I say I'll have it in two days or I'll have it on Tuesday... I'm giving you some specifics. So we use day kind of like it, uh, in a sense. But every time it's used with a number, it's a day. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 5, defines it as a morning and an evening. It's the way God described it. He says it was morning and it was evening and it was the the day. And every day after that. Uh, are specifically called days. The next thing I put down is my main reason for thinking it's 24-hour days, and nothing suggests anything else. You know, if the Holy Spirit wanted to tell us God took a long period of time to separate the waters, he could have done that. But he didn't suggest anything else or even get close to it. He just said, God did it in a day, in the morning and the evening. Not beyond that, there's nothing in Scripture that really permits it to be a long range of time. Now, I know today people say, well, I can buy evolution and I can believe God used that method and all that. Well, can you or can't you? What permits you to do that? Holy Spirit said a day, morning and evening. And then, things that really make it hard, is you go over to Exodus 20.11, when Moses is being given the Ten Commandments, and what God talk about creation? He talks about creation, how he did it in six days, and then rested a day as a pattern for man. And because of that, you're supposed to keep one day, 
as set apart for rest. If it was six eons, that doesn't make sense at all. But God talked about it, not just in the Genesis story, but all the rest of the time. And when Jesus referred to it and everything else, they talked about it as days. Now, if you've got a friend that wears you out on this and says, no, it was six eons and all that, ask him this next question. See if that stumps him a little bit. Ask him where the seven-day week came from. Ask him why we have a seven-day week, why we think of it in seven days. And you can't, you can't come up with an answer. There's absolutely no reason, sun and moon-wise, to have a seven-day week. You wouldn't do that. You have a 28-kind-of-day month because the moon changes regularly. But you can't get a seven-day week out of the way the heavens move and everything else is going on. Mathematically, scientifically, there's no reason to have seven-day week. But that's what man thinks of. Where'd that come from? It came from creation. From creation on. That's the way man thought about it. Six days and then the day of rest makes a week. All right. And then you get into some theological kind of arguments. Uh, if God took eons to create the earth, then the whole thing with Adam and Adam bringing sin into the world and all that, that gets all messed up. Okay. Uh, because for evolution or for eons, because, uh, see, the Bible doesn't say there was any death until the fall of man. So if while everything was being made by evolution, by natural selection and all that, there would, there would have been a lot of death. It would have been a tough old world. You know, maybe you'd call it the survival of the fittest or something like that. But there'd be death all the time, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that after the fall, death came into existence. And disease and suffering came in as part of the punishment for the fall. And over in Acts uh, 3.21, it says that creation is going to be restored. Uh, death and destruction will be no more. Okay. If creation was really eons and eons and full of death and suffering and dying and all that, none of that makes any sense. Sin came into the world by Adam. That's when the punishment started. Okay, so 24 hours a day, there's some of the, the arguments you can think about and not worry about, but think about. All right, now these next ones I said are a little bit more obscure. In fact, you may have never even heard of some of these, but people out there in the world ask questions about them, so I thought I'd brush over them real quickly. Uh, the gap theory, if you happen to have a Schofield reference Bible, it'll teach you this. Uh, you may not read the, the comments in your study Bible, uh, but if you do, whatever kind of study Bible you've got, you've got to be careful because that was written by man. It's in a Bible, but it wasn't written by God. And Schofield, when he wrote his reference Bible, uh, 
taught that God created the earth in verse 1, and that took a long time. And then between that and verse 2, that was when Satan rebelled. And you're saying, hold it, I don't see that in my Bible. No, it's not in there. That's just what the gap theory is. Uh, Some people trying to figure out when Satan got thrown out and came to earth and all that. That's the one that Schofield proposed, along with others, that Satan and the angels rebelled in there. And verse 2 should read, Then the earth became without form. Or God laid waste to it. He messed it up again. He destroyed it. And then he recreated everything. Okay? Now, some of you shaking your head like, I don't see where you get that. Out of the I don't see where you get it either. But there's people that believe the gap theory. Okay? Uh, they've been taught that. They believe somehow that's where Satan came into the world and all that. And it's... Like I say, it's it's not in there. Uh, in fact, there's some problems with it, some serious problems. Uh, every day, in fact, at the end of all of this recreation, if that's what it was, God said it's very good. He said everything's okay. Well, if it was created as a response to evil and having to redo everything, that, that sounds strange. Uh, once again, we get back to the fossil record of all the death and destruction that went on before Adam. Uh, Adam's the one that brought sin into the world. Not Satan didn't come in there and then creation happened. Uh, and it contradicts the seventh day of rest, the Sabbath day theory that we've already talked about. So that's the gap theory if anybody ever tries to drop that one on you. Uh, a little more frequent and we get, actually, it's surprising how many people call and ask about two creations. Uh, and they ask about the first wife for Adam. And uh, Originally, you think, I don't know what they're talking about here. But if you read the Bible, chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis, without kind of putting it in perspective, you can kind of get that idea. Let me show you how. Uh, and we'll get around it for explaining it. Uh, some people, if you read, start at verse 1, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and here's all the things he made. He made light and separated the waters, and he did all, the, all of that. And then chapter 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed. Okay? On the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And then look at verse 4. It says, Now this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And it starts talking about creating Adam and creating Eve and all that. And you, you think for a minute, hold it, did I miss something up there? Or did he, is he repeating this? or what? Well, some people read that. And it just sounds like, okay, he created everything. And then for some reason he created Adam and Eve after that. Adam and Eve aren't mentioned up in there before that. So it sounds like maybe there's kind of two creations. Now, 
if you think through in the big picture, like I've detailed here for you, chapter 1 and verse 1, I mean, that's the really big picture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything. Okay. And then the writer gives us a more detailed account of how God created all things. He made light. He made separated the waters. He made the creatures. He did that. last thing he did was create man. Okay. Then you get to 2 verse 4. And what it's really saying is here's the account, a little more detailed account perhaps, of mankind. Here's more details on how that came about. And he fleshes out the story that uh, he just barely mentioned up in chapter 1. Chapter 1, he said, God created man in his own image. He made male and female. And he went on with the story. Chapter 2 in fact, some people say that literally translated, instead of saying this is the account of the heavens and the earth, it ought to say these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. This is the story of man now. And starting in chapter 2 on through, that's what we get is the story of the generations. Adam and Eve, we get them in chapter 2. They mess up in chapter 3. Cain and Abel in chapter 4. Adam to Noah starts in chapter 5. These are the generations. This is the story of man. God made everything. Here's how he made everything. And then these are the, this is the story of man starting in chapter 2. So I think that's a much better way to, to understand it and to read it. Okay, now, I hesitate to mention this at all because it's so uh, scurrilous, I guess is a good word. But there are some people that take this theory of two creations and do something else with it. They, well, they're racists is what they are. They're, they're white supremacists, and they're real racists. And we've kind of misused uh, or we've used racists so frequently these days that uh, it doesn't mean much anymore. But real racist believes that a race is genetically better or worse than another race. Okay. So some white supremacists these days, and I've seen a few names and one guy in particular that seems to teach this doctrine, uh, and it's so wacky that it's hard to even read through with, with a straight face. But what they do in general, and there's different forms of this, is to say that on day six, God made the beasts of the earth, all the land creatures, and he created humans. Okay. But he didn't breathe the spirit of life into them. He didn't breathe his spirit into them. So they're really, that first man creation were just beasts of the field. A little more elevated, but they didn't have the Spirit of God in them. Then God rested for a day, and then he made Adam and Eve. And in them, it says, he breathed the Spirit of life. And they translate Adam, which it doesn't mean at all, they just made this up, to mean white man. 
So that's how they explain their racist doctrine, is that all non-whites were created on day six, and whites were created on day eight. And when God brought all the creatures past Adam, there were none of them fit for him to marry, because none of them had the Spirit of God in them, even though there were females there, according to their doctrine. So he made Eve and breathed the Spirit of God into her and all that. Now, I say, some of you are kind of sitting there with your eyes rolled back in your head. Uh, I, I thought about not mentioning that, but it's out there. I mean, there's some guy on the radio from a neighboring state uh, that we get a call every once in a while from somebody that's heard it late at night and want to know, what's this eighth-day creation stuff? And that's kind of a code that it goes by. Uh, what's this? What's this mean? And I tend to answer it about like I explained it to you that it's uh, both wacky and horrible. Uh, but that's what some people do with Genesis one and two for your information, and that's what we're here for is to inform you. All right, let's go to the last little thing on here. Dinosaurs. I guess it's not a little thing. They're a pretty big thing, actually. Dinosaurs. Some people got a lot of problem with that. I don't know what the problem is with dinosaurs. I don't know why people worry so much about it. Uh, if you buy into the evolutionary theory, then you've got to figure out why they evolved and why they died off somehow. Uh, but if you look at the real world, it's not a problem at all. Uh, we got fossils. We know they existed. We know some of them were really big dudes. Uh, some of them were really little, but some of them were really big. I don't think there were very many of them, very, very, very many kinds. Uh, we find a bone and kind of dream up something new, but as far as different-looking dinosaurs, I don't think there were too many of them probably. But God created them. He made them. Uh, if they lived in the water, he made them on day five. If they lived on the land, he made them on day six. He made them, and they coexisted, and some of them died, and they're in the fossil record. Uh, when the flood came along, I think Noah took some of them on the ark, and the rest of them died. When the ones got off the ark, after a while, for some reason, they went extinct. That's no big deal. There's a whole lot of animals have gone extinct. We've got all kinds we find fossils of. We say, whoa, there's none of them around anymore. doesn't bother us on everything else. For some reason, we get all excited about dinosaurs. I mean, dinosaurs are cool. I know that. You know, if you're a little kid, you've got to have a few models of dinosaurs for a while. But so they went extinct. I'm kind of glad they did, actually. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to run into one when, when I was out hunting. But they're gone. Uh, and I don't see anything strange or unusual about that at all or why we should worry about it. Uh, some people, well, we get a lot of questions about our dinosaurs in the Bible. And we tell them to read Job, starting 40, verse 15, and through chapter 41 of Job. Uh, those two chapters sound like a dinosaur. Uh, sound like some creature that we don't have around anymore anyway, so uh, you can, that can be your... Nighttime reading tonight. Go home and read Job forty forty one and uh, see if that sounds like a dinosaur to use. Job called him a behemoth and a leviathan, which just means great creatures. So 
Maybe it's what he was describing in there, or God was describing, uh, that he had made. So, Okay, enough on that. Next week we're going to talk about our next time we're together, be a while. Uh, we're going to talk about the fall and what we can learn from that, the fall of man. If you're here this evening and need to respond in some way, we'd be happy to help you. If you want to put Christ on in baptism or need something from this family, we'd be happy to talk with you about it. I'll be at the front. Let's stand and sing.